You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. All right, everybody in 1 Corinthians 4, if you haven't found it by now, scoot up next to somebody. I'm going to share with you what I believe God is trying to say to us here tonight about evaluating ministers of God. I will tell you that there are certain men who, um, if they, if we were, for instance, if I was in a preacher's meeting, I don't know if Brother Ruckman can relate to this or not, if I was at a pastor's fellowship, there's a lot of preachers there, and I was in the lineup to preach, and some national well-known evangelist who was just a firecracker got up to preach and, and I mean was just so dynamite and just explosive um, in his message and just very effective. I mean, God really seemed like God would be all over him. I have to tell you that me personally will be sitting there praying, God, please don't let me be the guy that follows this man up. I, sincerely, I'm just being honest with you, very human about that. Um, that happened to me one time, and I, I've never felt, I don't know, what would be the right word? Humbled, maybe humiliated. That might have been a better word than humbled, but um, I remember that. And, and I will have to tell you this, as far as preachers go, there's only one reason that happens. There's only one reason why the guy feels that way, me. That's pride. Because you're, you're afraid that you're not going to do as good a job or, or compared to that guy just before you, it was, yours was a yawner or, you know, any number of things. I don't know, Brother Ruckman, if you can relate to that or not. You, you, you're one of those preachers I wouldn't want to follow. But, um, but I, I have been that way. But I have to tell you this just as quickly, and I think it's just as important that you hear this. To God, every man that got up to preach was dynamite if he preached from his heart and if he preached the true word of God and the angels were rejoicing over every message and and God didn't have this scale that he put top sermon and eh, that was a buzzer that was way down there I mean God just doesn't do that with men God is looking for somebody to be faithful with his word and when he finds that man he has exactly what he was looking for to preach the word of God um, so I remind myself of that over and over again. And um, so Paul goes into this a little bit. You remember, if you'll look in chapter 3, drop down to verse 7, Paul is trying to, to correct some really bad issues taking place in the church. They were elevating one man above another. They were choosing groups uh, over this, and they were saying, this guy's so much greater, but these guys are lesser thans. You don't see those words in the Bible, but it's clearly implicated. And I think verse 7 highlights as much as what Paul's trying to get across as any verse I could pull out of this chapter, and look at it in verse 7. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. And this church was messed up on that subject. Uh, they had men on uh, a podium, so to speak. They had guys, you know, in the scale 
you know, some kind of a caste system where some were their favorite ones and others were just those I'd just rather not be around. And we'll just be with our group and you guys just stay over there. It's kind of the attitude prevailing in the church. It caused division. It caused strife. It caused the work of God to be completely put to a stop. And Paul knew that. And this church is never going to grow, never going to get beyond, uh, you know, uh, this place they're at until they learn how to look to God and not to man. So he gets into chapter 4. <clears throat> and I'm gonna, again, I'm going to share with you a message tonight on evaluating ministers of God. So let's read through, if you'll follow along with me, those first seven verses where the Bible says, and here's Paul speaking now. Remember verse 7 of chapter 3. Um, not the guy that plants or waters. It's God that gives the increase. Remember that theme of the chapter before? And he kind of carries on a little further with that in verse 1. Let a man so account of us, preachers, leaders of the church, those who are trying to, you know, really serve God um, in a full-time way probably. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. That's the way he says, I want you to look at us. This is the way God wants you to look at preachers and ministers. And hey, by the way, um, that's the way God wants fellow preachers to look at fellow preachers as well. We have a tendency to kind of lose sight of this as well. And I've got some favorite preachers of mine that I love to hear them preach. And I, they, when God uses them, it stirs my heart and I feel closer to the Lord and, and I can't say that there haven't been times in my life where I kind of got this skewed a little bit, and maybe I leaned a little more on the man than the God of the man. And, and uh, I think maybe we all have kind of done that from time to time. But Paul comes along. Listen to what he said there. Can we see that again in verse 1? Let a man so account of us. When you look at us and, and try to come up with some kind of an estimation of us, <clears throat> let him account of us as of the ministers of Christ. I'm going to talk about that here in a moment. And stewards of the mysteries of God. Look in verse 2. Moreover, let's take this step further, he says. It's required in stewards, those ministers, that a man be found, here's the big qualification, faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. Verse 4 might be a tad bit confusing. I'd like to explain it when we get down to it, okay? Verse 4, he says, For I know nothing by myself. That little phrase there can be somewhat confusing, but I want to explain that. It, it fits the context of everything perfectly. Again, verse 4, For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified by that statement he just made at the first part of the verse. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. Now, and I'm not done yet, but if I can just say this, guys. If you can get that settled in your heart, it'll do so much for your service to God. Those who are afraid to follow up the preacher or to stand up in front of a group when others have stood up and done such a great job or if I needed to play the piano or if I needed to do this or that and, and this fear comes over you because of what people might think of you. If you can get that verse settled, it'll do so much for you. He that judgeth me is the Lord. 
And God's so merciful and kind and compassionate in His judgment toward us. Can anybody say amen to that? Sure He is. So now listen to verse 5. Therefore, with all that in mind, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that you might learn in us, here's what he's trying to say about that, those first couple of phrases there, that you might learn in us, our example, not to think of men, very important phrase coming up here, not to think of men above that which is written. I would even encourage you to underline that phrase, not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. Then we're going to finish with verse 7 tonight, and I'll get into the message. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou, listen to these questions, and you need to answer them in your own heart, and what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? Well, that's a, that's a stark question. I'm gonna, I want to pause there in, in verses 8 on down to the end. I believe I'll be able to finish that up uh, next message here. But uh, let, let me just have a, a word of prayer with you, and then I'll get into these thoughts here tonight. Thank you, Lord. Like uh, I believe it was Paul said, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me whether he hath counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. What a humble thought. And I am humbled to be here tonight. And I do know many other men could, uh, talent-wise, do a much greater job and a much better job. But I'm asking you to help me to be faithful to you as a minister and as a steward of God tonight with your word. And may we grow from it. May we be the better for it tonight. May our perspective about life uh, Christianity, about church, about even uh, ministers of God, be as clear as what you're trying to say to us. And I need your help for that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I was reading some quotes today, and somebody said, Here's their quote I am very qualified to speak on pride because I'm so proud. <laughs> that could be true of so many people. He goes on to say, I hate my pride, but what I take even more seriously is how God hates it so much more. And that's true. Pride makes us the enemy of God because God, what does he do with pride, the proud person? He, he resists the proud and looks for that one who is humble to give grace to. He gives grace to the humble. C.S. Lewis said, true humility, listen to this statement. You've got to listen as, as he's quoting this. Uh, True humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. That's a great statement. Uh, We can spend a lot of time thinking less of ourselves, but we only end up thinking a lot about ourselves. The problem of pride does not boil down to whether we think high thoughts or low thoughts about ourselves, but that we think lots of thoughts about ourselves, and we do. We do think lots of thoughts about ourselves, whether you realize it or not, guys, we're kind of hung up on ourselves. We think a whole lot about ourselves. 
we take care of ourselves. And I'm telling you, I, I told you when I drive by a, a, you know, a convenience store and, I, and I've got a good excuse, I, I run in and buy a, a little chunk of manna and then run out with my Snickers bar. And I, I don't have any problem taking care of this guy right here. I have no problem at all because I like that guy. And sometimes when we like ourselves so much, um, you get too high of an opinion of yourself. You think life is more, you think service is more about you than it is about God. And it's such a trap that Christians get into. So the Corinthians were blinded to the pride that was at the root of their problem in their church. And Paul, knowing they were blinded to this, he becomes this very good eye doctor. He's going to help their blindness out quite a little bit and helps remove that blindness that they obviously have. And he does so throughout you know, this whole book, um, but especially here in these first seven verses that I want to share this with you tonight. Number one, ministers by definition. Here's what Paul says. I, I wish you would look at me like this. If you guys are going to start saying, well, we're going to choose sides, you know, and as a matter of fact, we've already done that. And Paul, we just want you to know these 25 people in, in this church here, we're all about you. Now, those guys are Apollos and, 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 uh, and Peter, uh, and those are the Jesus group over there. Um, that's who those people are for. But Paul, just so you know, we're all about you. And we, we know that you're the man that walks with God and, and we're all behind you. And you can hear in their voice that they're thinking about the man. And they, they've got this focus that fails to tip upward at all. And it's constantly looking at what people are doing or what they're saying or how they're acting to determine if they're worthy enough to be a part of their group or to follow whatsoever. So Paul comes along and says, guys, let me give you a good definition. Just so you can be reminded of who ministers of God really are by the estimation of God, and he gives this really stark description of what a minister is. Look at it again in verse 1. Let a man so account of us as, here it is, the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Let me take you back to the word ministers. Ministers of Christ. I'm not a Greeky guy, but what I do know about this word is this. If you study the word out, it has an idea of being an under oarsman. Does anybody have an idea what that means? If you were on a ship, those old-timey ships that didn't have any motors, and if the wind wasn't blowing, the sails did you no good, and they had layers of men under, uh, way down in the lower deck, lower portion of the belly of the ship. And, um, and there were guys that would be on, on the very bottom, and if you remember the hole in the side of the ship, and this guy here and a whole row of guys uh, had an oar, and each one of them was pulling the oar, another row on the other side, and then the next level up was a, another set of guys, and sometimes a third level up is the third level of men that are rowing underneath. And I, I got to tell you, down in that part of the ship, guys, you don't want to be down there. Uh, it, it, Number one, the way it probably smelled. I don't think right guard had been invented at that time. And other things that are slopping up and down the middle of the belly of that ship are probably some unmentionables that we don't even want to talk about tonight. And I will tell you, the guys up on top of the, of the deck um, who would uh, approach the captain probably have no idea about the guy on the very bottom belly part of the ship who's rowing away, sweating and toiling. Maybe blisters have broken open on his hand and uh, he just has to continue to oar and to do his job because his job is not to be able to make a name about himself. His job is to get this ship where it belongs and where it's, it needs to get um, docked. 
And when, they, when the ship does dock on the shore, if anybody is to be elevated and looked upon as being somebody who did great things to get this ship through, you know, several maybe really bad storms and through some really hard times and at a great distance, if anybody should get the credit, it ought to be the captain of the ship. Nobody comes running out with a trophy saying, I want that 23rd guy down there in the bottom row. I got a trophy for that guy. We got his name plastered across the outside of the ship. Nobody did that. Nobody even knew who those guys were, those under oarsmen. And Paul comes along and says, so you want to be a part of my group? You, you think that, uh, you know, in your church, let's just keep it in, in our church here. You think in your church, you think it's really special to have uh, a really neat little click? You would never use the word click, but really in reality, that's what it was in the Bible. And, and, and you guys think it's really neat to have this group over here, and you think I'm the head of your group? Well, just so you know, I want you to account of me like an under oarsman. Those guys in the stinkiest part of the ship, those guys that labor, nobody doesn't even know their name. And I just want to tell you, when you think about what I'm like, and you try to uh, have some kind of an estimation of me as an apostle and a minister of God, I want you to think about a slave to Jesus Christ. And I don't care if people know my name. I just care about the one who is the captain of the ship. But they had a problem with that. Churches have problems with that still yet today. Get their eyes on a man. Maybe the man gets an eye on the man, and that happens a whole lot. And people start feeling like, you know, I'm going to follow this person. And like I told you in another message before, when you follow somebody so strongly that when that person stumbles and falls, your commitment goes right along with them, something's wrong with your estimation of that person. And, and Paul comes along and says, don't look at me like that. I'm just a man. Uh, the calling is not what makes me special. It's the one who does the calling that makes men, their work, special. So I'm, I'm just an under oarsman. Hey, by the way, everybody sitting here tonight, we're on the belly of the ship tonight. We're just oarsmen trying to get the work of God done. And if anybody gets the glory, it needs to be God. It needs to be Jesus Christ who paid the price for us. Not only that, he says, if you're going to try to give some kind of an estimate of me, uh, look at verse 1 again. Uh, we're also stewards of the mysteries of God. Things that weren't known prior to all of this. Uh, some things like how the Jews and the Gentiles were going to come back together. And some things had to do with just the pure gospel itself. That they had no conception of what it really was all about. And he says, all we are, guys. You want another word, he says, to, uh, to be able to have an evaluation of us as ministers? Use the word steward. We all know what a steward is by now. Surely you've heard preachers preach over and again about that. A steward is not the one whose name is on the title to the property. You go to the, the property of some, maybe some huge plantation, and you find a guy out there. He's got his tablet out, and he's working on things, and he's guiding this guy to go over here, and he every now and then will pick a hoe up himself, and, and you can tell that guy's really busy. And you go up and interview the guy, Find out who he is, and you ask, are you the owner? He should laugh and say, no way, I'm not the owner. The guy that lives up in that mansion up there, that guy's the owner. I'm just working for him. Whatever he tells me to do is what I do, and I want to make sure that I make a good name for him. He's done a lot for my family. 
If you just knew how he's treated me and my wife and our children in some of the worst of times, he, he showed so much love and attention to us. And I don't want this to be about me. I want you to think about him. I'm just a steward. But there's a lot of people who have a lot of the blessings of God upon them tonight. That would be every one of us. I mean, how good has God been to us and blessed us and encouraged us and challenged us and used us? And uh, still somehow we get into this trap of wanting people to give me some kind of a name. Can you give me some recognition? Uh, Can't you let me know I did a good job every now and then? And you've heard me say this over and again as well. There's nothing wrong with letting folks know a job well done. And to God be the glory. Uh, And and, and I, I, I appreciate the encouragement. I appreciate the, hey, good sermon, pastor, and and uh, we appreciate what you're doing for us. And I, I hear that weekly. But um, just so you know, I'm just an under oarsman. And I'm a steward. And my name's not on the title of any property belonging to him. It's Jesus Christ. Owns it all. Do we understand that? And as ministers, we're responsible for the gospel. My job is to get the message of Christ out to the world. My job is not to make a big name for myself and make sure that I'm in the periodicals and I'm not putting down guys who are in the magazine, the articles, many of those great, tremendous, humble men of God. But that should not be the goal of every man uh, and, and preacher is to make a name for myself. The goal of every minister ought to be to get the gospel out around the world. Which, by the way, is the job of everyone here in this room tonight. Our job is to get the gospel out, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and spread it around the world. And don't worry about what others may be thinking about you. If you, you know, a little bit um, frightened about stepping out for service, go for it. Uh, it, It's it's Christ is our judge, not men around us. So, the Corinthians had fallen into the trap of evaluating ministers by their gifts and their talents and their popularity, but God judges ministers according to to their faithfulness. And that's what he's looking for tonight. I guess the question um, needs to be asked tonight, guys, do you feel like you're being faithful to your calling? Do you feel like you've been faithful to your Sunday school class or to your bus route or uh, to whatever it is in the church that you've been given some kind of a responsibility for? Or you say, preacher, I'm not in a ministry even in the church. I'm not involved in one of the ministries, but I attend as faithfully as I can attend. and, And I try to be an encouragement to as many people as I can. Praise the Lord. If that's what you do when you come to church, be an edifier. Be somebody that encourages and challenges people, but be faithful with what you do. That's what Jesus Christ is looking for, faithful ministers. Number two, the temptation to judge God's ministers. Now let me, let's be reminded of that. Verse three, would you follow along there? Verse three again, but with me it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you. In other words, I don't think a whole lot of what you think about me. Or of man's judgment, yea, I judge not mine own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure... Let me just hold off there, because we'll come down and read that here in just a minute. So, the temptation to judge God's ministers, 
Paul makes it clear that his driving goal as a minister is not to get, uh, you know, kudos from his churches or to avoid somebody's condemnation. Did you hear those two ends of the scale? Uh, Paul's goal was not to hear, you know, the accolades from, uh, from different people or to run around worrying about what somebody else might think about him. I don't want to hear the, con- uh, the condemning comments, uh, but I really hope I get some kind of uplifting, you know, pat on the back. And the minister who does that, guys, will always be looking over his shoulder, hoping he hasn't offended somebody or just waiting for the next compliment from someone. And when they don't get the compliment... And when they don't hear the words of praise, they feel like they're just worthless and that my ministry is not amounting to very much. So what they thought of him was of little consequence to him. Outside of the need to keep his testimony clean. He's not saying, I don't care what you guys think. As if it didn't matter, I'll live my life the way I want to live my life. He's not saying that because ministers have you know, qualifications and and boundaries and parameters to walk within but he's simply saying while I'm being faithful to my God what you think about me means very little as far as how I feel toward God but not everybody can say that did you hear what I just said not everybody can say that I'm in the preacher's world preachers are in here tonight brother Tunis is with us tonight brother Larry brother Rutland brother Doug and I go around the room and I'm gonna miss them brother Mark and different ones You guys know what I'm talking about when I say there are ministers that it means a lot what others think about them. And they need to hear it and they need to know it. And and they push for that. That, That's that's their goal. Uh, But sadly, I believe Jesus is up in heaven saying, Verily I say unto thee, you have your reward. If you want to get your praise on earth, go ahead, you can have it. But I won't be able to have the well done when you get to heaven. So Paul is stating that man's estimation of him isn't what's most important to him. Look in verse 4. Let's try to break this down a little bit. In verse 4, for I know nothing by myself. Now whatever that means, um, he says right after that, yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. Okay. So in verse 4, here's what he's saying. When he says, I know nothing by myself, he's simply saying, I'm not personally aware of anything in my life that would condemn me. Did you hear that? Look at it again. For I know nothing by myself. I'm not aware of anything in my life that would condemn me. I'm not aware of anything. Okay? But now look back into verse 4 if that's what he's saying. And he goes on to say right after that, Yet am I not hereby justified. Can you look back up here? So what he's saying there is, just so you know, your judgment of me means very little. And number two, I can also say this, even if I was to look at myself and I was to be a judge of my own self, I don't, I'm not aware of other, uh, anything in my heart that would condemn me. But I need you to know, because he says right after that, that uh, I don't feel justified or worthy or have a proper estimation just because I don't even see wrong things in myself. Because it's not what others think about me. It's not even what I think about myself that matters. Guys, really, all that really matters is what God thinks about us. And that's where Paul's trying to bring this down to. It's not what others think or myself. It's what God thinks and what the Word of God says. 
So this has to do with what a man is thinking about himself, my own estimation of myself. And yet even that doesn't make him feel qualified as a minister, my own estimation of myself. It's amazing how what men think about themselves affects their outlook on the ministry. When a man feels good about himself, he can get a proud opinion of himself. Huh, pretty good sermon. Uh, that was a great series. Man, I could tell other people really got into that t- uh, tonight, or the Sunday school lesson that someone taught, or the song that I happened to sing, or whatever it might have been. You know, man, they, they really like that. But when he's down on himself and he feels like he's a failure, then, then life is just dismal, life is dark. But guys, our opinion about ourselves is not what matters. It's not what you think about me. Uh, It's not what I think about me. It's what God thinks. That's what's most important to Paul. And Paul says that God is the one who judges him and that has the highest effect on his life. Look at it again at the end of verse 4. Let's read it all together. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. O Corinthians who run around thinking one group is better than another, and one preacher is better off than another, and so on and so forth. All that matters is what God thinks about us. So Paul sharply condemns them for uh, judging uh, and estimating, you know, putting them on some kind of a scale the way they've been doing. Look in verse 5. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. Okay. So they were taking the place of God in essence. God is going to be the one who will judge righteously. Men do not have the ability to judge righteously. We have beams in our eyes. Uh, We have prejudices that fill our hearts and minds. And he says, God is the one that needs to be the one judging. And and there's coming a day when that will take place. Look in verse 6. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that ye might learn in us as examples, not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. Simply telling them that he... He's been using himself along with Apollos as examples of trusting in the power of God as opposed to proudly promoting the wisdom of man. If you could just look at us as examples of that, he says. I was reading this morning how the queen of Sheba had come to Solomon and she was going to prove him with really hard questions and you know she had come with this long train of spices and gold and and precious stones and different things that she had brought as a gift to Solomon Uh, but really what she thought it was going to be was a consolation prize for him because once she finished embarrassing him with all her really hard questions she's going to be like "Uh, it's okay but I want you to have this after all why else was she bringing all that and yet when Solomon answered her and such with such wisdom from God and she saw his ascent to the throne and she saw how happy the ministers that ministered to him really were her heart just melted and all that pride just bled away and she said I didn't hear the half of what it really is uh, is taking place here and, and it humbled her so Solomon was this tremendous um, orator wise man that everybody sought after and, and longed to be uh, around they wanted to be associated with Solomon. So much so, as I was reading and studying some of the commentaries about this, 
Men were willing to just be known as a companion of Solomon rather than to carry their own family name. You're in the Spencer clan, aren't you? Yeah. I'd feel thankful for that. But there were men that were so closely clinging to Solomon and his wisdom and his his splendor and his wonder that they would rather just be known as an associate of, of Solomon. But there's a real problem with that because Solomon made some horrific mistakes. And Solomon built idol temples, places to worship idols for his wives. Uh, Solomon fell away from God and walked away from the Lord. And somebody tell me, when someone was getting their identity now from Solomon instead of from God, tell me now where their dedication to God is. And that, that, was, that was a real problem. And Paul was trying to get them to understand, get your eyes off of men. Me and Apollos were just ministers and stewards of God. Use us as an example for that, he's saying. We need to just be content and fulfilled by the fact that God judges us and makes us who we are, even the ministers of God. Um, Now look at that little phrase there in verse 6, and I called your attention to it earlier. Verse 6 again, And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written. So what is he talking about, that which is written? Well, what else can he be talking about? Hey, other than the Scripture, those things that the Bible has already dealt with, the subject of, of ministers and of service to God. And um, so, um, that ye might learn in us not to think above that which is written. I like what one commentator says about that. Listen to what he says about that phrase. He says, in a broader sense, it is an important lesson not to think beyond what is written. We must take our every cue from Scripture. It used to be that something was considered biblical if it came from the Bible. Today people say things are biblical if they can't find a verse which specifically condemns it. This would be to think beyond what is written. Well, can you, I know you feel like God's leading you to do this. You feel like uh, there's, there's scripture for that? Well, no, but I don't see anything that condemns it either. And, and, and so when people want to get outside of the Word of God, and, and I don't mind the little phrase, think outside of the box. I mean, that, that doesn't bother me a whole lot. But I've often said this, if thinking outside of the box means getting outside of the book, then you got problems. And that's what Paul's trying to say. Don't, uh, don't think of us or of any man above that which is written. Don't get all puffed up about this man or that man. Know what the Word of God says about it, and don't get outside of those parameters and of that box. And then Paul makes them realize, and I'll wrap it up with this, these last thoughts here. Paul makes them realize that, guys, we're the created ones, and we're not the creator. Look in verse 7. Who maketh thee to differ from another, and what hast thou that thou didst not receive now if thou didst receive it why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it does that make sense to you so if if everything that you own your talents your treasures your time uh, everything that we have was a gift if my ability to speak and the voice that comes from me and and my thoughts and 
and everything about me, if all of that was a gift, somebody tell me, how in the world can I be lifted up in pride as if, hey, what do you think about me? You hear my voice? Um, You see how eloquent I speak? Okay, maybe another example. But, um, and we start thinking about how great I really am. Guys, that was a gift somebody gave you. And do you understand what was given can just as easily be taken back from you? It'd be an easy easy thing for God to do to teach me a, a lesson to think you're something because of the talent or what the things I've given to you. Uh, remember Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God, what's the next word? Created the heaven and the earth. What did God pull off of a shelf to be able to form the earth with? What, what raw materials did he go over and scoop up and put in a bucket and come out and start shaping the earth? What did he reach into to grab to get a hold of to make the earth? Nothing. When the Bible says God created, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, it means he created it out of nothing. Who does that? Only God can do that. And the gifts that you and I have, the talents that we have, guys, they only came from God. We didn't muster that up ourselves. We didn't have some shelf to reach into and form and shape the the talents and the, you know, that spiritual gift that God has given to us, those were special gifts of God. Psalm 139, verse 14, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well. We're the work of God, not the work of ourselves. So knowing all of this, guys, how on earth could the created ones, us, you and me, boast about our talents or our abilities as if I'm really something? Or, brother so-and-so is just a tremendous guy. Man, if you're going to follow anybody, follow that guy. Well, it's okay to say, listen to his message. He's got a heart for God, and he follows the Lord, and I gain so much from that guy because he follows the Lord. Nothing wrong with that statement. But when we hear people's names being promoted and somebody being elevated above this preacher or one church above another church or somebody in the house of God being made to look like they're more important than anybody else in the house of God, if we begin to think that a deacon in our church is more important than one of the little kids that step off a bus route and walks in this church, then we have major problems as a church. At very best, when we realize that God was good enough to equip us with our gifts and the talents that we have, what it ought to do, and this is where I believe Paul was trying to drive them toward, we ought to be overcome with gratitude and humility for what God has done for us. I can't believe God would, and I I say it, I mean it, every time I step up here, I am so humbled. God would use me, a little boy that sat in Franklin, Ohio at the Franklin Baptist Church, sat on the back row of Jeff Baker and, and Mike Patterson, and, and when I was before that in the old Missionary Baptist Temple with, with Tony Bates and, and Mike Gray and some of the other guys who would sit there and get in trouble and, and uh, grew up in our church and got involved in the youth department, and I'd watch those guys get up and preach and think that, man, that's never me, never would that ever be me. And every time I step in the pulpit, I can't believe God would use someone like me. 
But I'm here to tell you very quickly, it has never, ever been about the guy in the pulpit, but always about the God in heaven who empowers and equips every one of us to be able to do anything that we're able to do here tonight. If you have a talent, if you're really good at something, if, if you're attractive to people because of something that you do really good, you better be on your knees every night thanking God that he gives you that ability because he can take it away that quick. I promise he can. And has had to do so to teach some valuable lessons to us. A heart of gratitude and thankfulness for what God has done for us. So next week we're going to continue, or the next message when I get into this, we'll continue Paul's rebuke for their pride in looking at man. We're going to hold off with that tonight. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.